In this episode, I had the pleasure of having Elder Lane McGee and Elder Charles and Sister Teresa Stedman join me. All three have been a big part of my missionary experience and service. Elder and Sister Stedman are the missionary leaders over the Tempe Chandler Service Mission, which I currently serve in. And Elder McGee is currently serving in Salt Lake. His focus is in service missionary learning and development. We get to talk about so many unique and spiritual experiences that we've experienced in the course of our service, as well as how we can all be disciples of Christ. I'm eager to jump in, and I hope you are as well, because this is going to be a good one. This is That Made Me Smile. so much for being here, Elder and Sister Stedman and Elder McGee. Um, Elder McGee is visiting from Salt Lake, and we have the honor to have him be here, and um, he's willing to hop on the podcast and talk to us a little bit and share their experiences. Uh, Elder and Sister Stedman have been my service mission leaders for the past uh, two years, and uh, it's been a wonderful opportunity working with them, um, growing with them, learning all these different things. And Elder McGee is also been a part of that process. I, I can't remember exactly when we met, but it was a, quite a while back, and um, we've been good friends and interacting and working together since. So I thought it would be a great opportunity to sit down and talk together and also kind of, I want to hear your thoughts about what it's like to be a mission leader, because I think we focus a lot on the missionaries in, in missions, because <laughs> which makes sense, but we don't often hear a lot of the stories from the mission leaders of what their experience is. Um, so I think the question, the question I'd like to start with and just see where it goes is as mission leaders, you're asked to provide the missionaries with this transformative experience that's going to change their lives for the better. But we don't ever really hear, um, you know, how is it transforming your lives? Because I'm sure just like when you teach something, you're going to learn the material better. And so when you're providing a transformative experience, I'm sure you're receiving a transformative experience as well. So what, how, is, how has being a mission leader transformed your life? Go ahead. Okay, I'll go first. <laughs> so when we were first told about this assignment um, more than three years ago, immediately my, my mind went to, well, what is this? And what are we going to do? And how, what does this look like? And probably the only thing that I could actually relate it to was the Peace Corps. And I thought, how amazing to go somewhere and where there's, where there's nothing and begin to create something. And in completely unfamiliar territory. So in my mind, you know, I'm thinking Peace Corps, you know, some jungle somewhere, some desert area. Oh, actually, this is a desert area. <laughs> <laughs> But, but that whole idea of, of being on the ground floor of something and, and creating something almost from nothing. And that's really what this is. That's really what this is. It really is creating something from only an idea, just somebody's idea of what this would look like. And so I think especially in the church where everything is pretty well established and we don't very often have a whole lot of input, to be able to be on the ground floor of something really then has reminded me of what it must have been like in the early days of the church. Mm -hmm. 
to be somewhere where you can, where your opinion matters and you can help to shape policy and, you, and you're working with people who are all working to accomplish the same goal but coming at it from different perspectives and from their, their real life experience and how those ideas can come together and begin to create this. And so it's, it's very exciting to be a part of something like that where you, you are building and creating something. Um, so I guess it is kind of a Peace Corps type idea of pulling all these people and all these ideas together for the greater good of someone. But you are also changing and learning and growing. For myself, I've never worked with special needs people ever in my whole life. So when we first started and we had that opportunity to work with some young adults who had some special needs, that was eye-opening for me. And I had lots of really interesting experiences with those young adults interacting with others and helping to um, shape opinions about just how much everyone does have to offer. So and lots of things. I think we viewed them <coughs> as capable. I don't think we ever said, you won't be able to do that. We, mm -hmm. we believe that they can reach higher. Yeah. And so we've, we've provided opportunities for them to grow, to reach higher. And, and become capable. We had one sister that she couldn't remember what she had for breakfast or what she did the last hour, but she had a, a very uh, distinct advantage over many because she knew the scriptures. Mm. Did you say so? Oh, she could open up to any <coughs> book of scripture. And I, I remember specifically one time I was her companion because we didn't have any other sisters in the mission. <clears throat> and she and I were studying together one morning, and we were having to do it virtually because COVID had just started. And we were studying the New Testament and Come Follow Me. And she said, all right, Sister Stedman, where, we, where should we jump into today? And I said, well, let's turn to Philippians. She opened her, I watched her open her scriptures and she said, what chapter? Now, I don't know very many people, honestly, who can find Philippians, but she knew where it was. <laughs> and we could have scripture study and she'd say, oh, you know, that reminds me of something else. And I would have meaningful meaningful scripture study with that sister who others would have viewed as very cognitively impaired and probably would not have given more than a five-minute conversation. And our scripture study was never shorter than 30 minutes and sometimes 40 and 45 minutes. And it was always meaningful. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about transformative, uh, Sister Stedman and I had, had always planned as we uh, became more mature. Well, that's... that's uh, <laughs> <laughs> a nice word for old. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, we had always decided that we would serve a mission. And, and I had served in Brazil, and so we were <coughs> contemplating that that's where we would be called, or at least that would be one of the selections that we would make. And, uh, and then uh, I had been serving as state president after being released for two or three months. I got a phone call from Elder Bramwell. And Elder Bramwell said, we've been waiting and watching to see when you would be released. We have this opportunity for you to serve a, uh, a service mission as a service mission leader. And I, I think we spent like an hour or two on the phone with him learning what that would be like. And, and we said, ultimately we said, yes, we're, we're interested. However, we're moving to Arizona. <laughs> and he said, great, we have, we have service missions in Arizona. You'll fit right in. Let me introduce you to Elder and Sister Pugmire, which uh, paved the way for us to be here. Yeah. And so when we arrived, we started 
serving in the greater Phoenix area. We had our area was from Flagstaff to Sierra Vista. <laughs> and, uh, and then after a year, our home was built and, and we moved to the East, East Valley mm. in Queen Creek. And we started serving in Tempe Chandler. And so I look at transformative of, of sure, I may have increased in uh, my Portuguese language skills. Sister Stedman would have learned Portuguese. But we've learned, I believe, so much more in serving together with capable young, young men and women, uh, whether they have a disability or not. It doesn't matter. They, they're still children of God, and they can still reach, and they do reach. Oh, that's excellent. Uh, similarly, uh, when I was called <coughs> to, um, there was, it was a pilot era, pilot program. In 2016, Elder Brimwell had been called with his sweet wife in San Diego. We also lived in San Diego, and we were called to serve in the northern area, Redlands, Riverside, Rancho Cucamonga area. Okay. And um, at first, we were not... Uh, we were asked not to promote the program because it was new and we were figuring things out as things were moving along. Mm-hmm. The caveat being, if you meet, uh, our job was to go around meeting with state presidents to talk to them about the program. Mm-hmm. And if they would indicate that there was a, an individual that, that maybe could be considered to serve a service mission, that we could talk with that family if they approached us. Mm-hmm. And so that was the the framework then, quite different than it is now. Yeah. And... Um, so we had that opportunity, um, and I remember the very first young man who spoke with us. Um, what an amazing young man. He, he had uh, some social anxiety. He was on the autism spectrum, um, and when we met him, he looked down. He, he didn't want to have eye contact. He was hesitant to shake hands, although he did. He forced himself kind of like to shake hands, and... Um, he had five older siblings, uh, brothers and sisters, all of whom had served proselyting missions. And he was the baby, and he really wanted to serve a mission. Mm. And with his situation, um, he would not be able to uh, serve a proselyting mission. And so his mother was quite excited to learn about uh, a different opportunity. But she was also quite concerned that he wouldn't be able to succeed as a missionary, quote-unquote. And... Um, as we worked with this young man, he, um, he got very excited. Uh, another element to this is his father unexpectedly passed away within a year of, of this time when we met him, hmm. less than a year previous. And he, he had a testimony, and he was so excited about serving a mission. He said, well, let's try this for six months. Um, I think we can do this for six months. And uh, his mother reluctantly agreed. And so he was called and set apart as a service missionary. And to make a long story short, Sister McGee and I visited after a couple of months. One of his assignments happened to be at a storehouse. And um, he, when we first saw him, he said he was not comfortable being in the front area, but he loved being in the warehouse and stocking shelves. We visited him two more months, so now four months into his mission. And it was amazing. Sister McGee and I walked in to the retail area. He was up, uh, I don't know if it's called the retail area, but the front area of the Bishop's <laughs> storehouse where, the, where people were coming. This was pre-COVID. <laughs> people were coming into the storehouse to fulfill their food orders. He was there 
looking face-to-face, big smile on his face, saying hello, chatting with these patrons, helping them fill their order, lifting things from the shelves. It was like, talk about transformation. This young man didn't even look like the same young man. And he extended his mission three more times, served a full two years, and his mother, who had been concerned that he, thinking he might never be able to be able to live independently or hold a job, he got a job at a grocery store because of his experience at the storehouse. And she testified in sacrament meeting, we were there for his homecoming talk, that she knew that because of the Lord's guidance and hand in her son's mission, that he would be able to live independently and successfully. And she was so proud of him. And she was transformed. The young man was transformed. And Sister McGee and I were thrilled and transformed as we saw this young man blossom. And we saw that same story repeat itself time after time after time. During that same era, um, there were a couple of missionaries who who needed to come home uh, for various reasons. Uh, physical injury, uh, uh, anxiety issue, and... They came home. They were very capable young people, and they had the opportunity to then switch, transfer to a service mission. And they became wonderful service missionaries. And uh, and seeing these missionaries and serving with these missionaries, and we were, by the way, we didn't have a service missionary handbook yet. We didn't have anything. We were making this up as we were going, right? It was a pilot era, a pilot project, a yeah. pilot program. And the Stedmans were in on the, and started in, during that same era, in right. the pilot program era. And so the things that we were able to do with these young people and the contributions these young people made, hey, we need this kind of a thing, we need this kind of a thing, wouldn't it be nice to have a, a service missionary handbook? Yeah. And they made contributions and suggestions, which you know, ended up coming into what we now have as the service missionary handbook. And so it's been uh, an amazing thing. I'm, I'm prompted. I, I when I was a boy, um, we were really poor. I didn't have a dad. My mom and my brother and me lived uh, alone. And the feeding of the we often went to bed hungry. And I remember the first, my mom would read it, read to us every. We had a roof over our head and we had beds. We had a little place to live, but. She would read the scriptures to us, or scriptural stories to us every night. And I remember reading, her reading, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And I thought, wow, wouldn't that be so cool to be able to eat what, what Jesus provided. Yeah. And she read in John, I think it's around chapter 6, about how the Apostle Andrew found this lad, I believe is the word in the scriptures, who had these two barley loaves and five fishes. And my mother was really thrilled about the feeding of the 5,000 part of the miracle, which was cool. But I thought back to this boy, this lad, who had the two barley loaves, you know, that cheap bread, and five probably little dinky fishes. Um, and we don't know his name. We don't know what came into his mind to prepare lunch maybe for his family when they were going out to, to see the Lord. Um, don't know much about that part of the story. But what we do know is 
he was a resource for the Lord. The Lord and his source of power, right, the priesthood after the order of the Son of God, was obviously the source of the miracle. But that lad <clears throat> was a resource. He had those two loaves of bread and those five fishes, and he gave his all. He gave what he had, all that he had, to the Savior, and the Savior accepted his offering and then did the miracle for feeding the 5,000. The service missionary, to me, is like that lad. The service missionary makes an offering. What can I offer the Lord? How can I serve the Lord? And the Lord accepts that offering, and miracles can happen. I've seen miracles with these young service missionaries. That's transformed me. Absolutely, yeah. I I remember when uh, when Brother Corbett came down to visit, and um, he was talking to all the, the transfer missionaries that had come through. Now, I don't know if I really count as a transfer missionary, but probably so. I guess I, I guess I <laughs> yeah, switched around a little bit. So, um, But I remember him asking the group, he asked a lot of questions, but he asked, how many of you were uncomfortable or knowing that you'd be working with special needs or, um, you know, missionaries with unique circumstances? Um, were uncomfortable with that, and that was a reason you weren't sure if you wanted to serve. And I don't think anyone, not many people raised their hand, because one, I think that's a little, you know, you're going, oh, I don't want to admit to that. But I raised my hand, and it wasn't because, and as I thought about it, I was like, oh, that probably looked kind of bad. But it wasn't because I didn't want to work with special needs missionaries. It was actually, and I think, as as kind of Sister Seven mentioned this too, I just had never done it before. And so I did, I kind of thought to myself, I was like, I don't think I'll be very good at, you know, relating or working with them. I, it was more on me of not knowing how to, you know, if I'd be able to handle it. And, uh, but after, you know, just getting involved in, and doing it, it's been very eye-opening to see how much they do have to offer, um, how much all the missionaries have to offer, um, there was an elder, Elder Hammer. He just attended the MTC last round. And it was, he came in, I think, similar to, you know, what you're saying, Elder McGee, your experience with that one elder um, who worked at the Bishop's storehouse. He came in, was shy. His mission leader said, you know, he may not want to attend or he may only want to come for an hour. Or, and we said, yeah, that's fine. We'll we'll work with whatever he can, he can do. And he came and day by day, as we started getting closer to the end of the experience, you could see he started to really warm up. He started smiling. He started communicating. Um, he, you know, he, he also didn't seem want to make eye contact very often, but he started making eye contact. And I remember I was seen in, in the hallway, and I was just sitting there, and he came, comes walking out because he was just here early. And he goes and says, just ra- randomly out of the blue, I was just sitting there, and he goes, I'm going to miss this. And it just really touched my heart because I I, it was amazing to see how much he had transformed in that just that three-week period of time. And I think it was because he was put in an environment with people who saw him for who he could really be and didn't judge him, didn't think, oh, he can't really do it. And they just loved him and accepted him for who he, who he was. And he felt that love and acceptance, and so he came out of his shell and really um, 
began to reach higher. And uh, and his testimony of what he had experienced, he, you know, he he understood what he was learning. He he knew what was going on, and I just it was just a powerful experience. So I I it's amazing what the service mission program does for um, missionaries of all different skills and capabilities and, and talents. Um, well, I think the other yeah. thing too is that it it pulls together a group of people who live in the same area who necessarily would not be friends with one another. They float in different circles or, or, you know, they went to a different school or they're even in a different state. But we take in this area, and so all of a sudden they're mixed together. And, and it's kind of fun when somebody new comes in and they go, wait, don't I know you from elementary school? Didn't we, weren't we in the same fifth grade class? And they begin to make these connections. But what I've always been so impressed with, with our missionaries, and I'm sure it's consistent throughout the program, um, we don't have a lot of special needs missionaries, and I see nothing but love coming from our very capable missionaries really going out of their way to help those missionaries to know that they are loved and they belong and they have something to offer. And I see that, um, you know, Sister Rulai, who would take paratransit all the way from Awatuki out to the social media meeting, which is probably an hour's drive um, with paratransit, because she felt loved in that meeting yeah. with all these very capable missionaries who are working on videos and working on projects, but she was always included in that. And Elder Folks, um, always, when he had a comment to make in a mission meeting or in a presentation that we were given, giving, he was given the time to formulate his thoughts and, and make those comments. And that's what people notice and come up to us afterwards and say, I love the way your missionaries are so kind to that particular missionary. You can see the genuine love and concern. So that that is also another part of that transformation for us then as the individual, for you or for me, who didn't have a whole lot of experience working with that population of people, um, the compassion that you learn. And I remember serving in the temple with Sister Wold she'd gone through for herself and wanted to serve in the temple and she was invited to serve in the laundry if she had somebody with her so I was very happy to go and she and I served together in the laundry once a week now remember um it was you have to fold the towels a certain way and (laughs) they're very particular about it and so she and I would be standing there together and We'd, we'd be folding the towels and she'd hold it up did I do that right and I'd say oh no let's let's do it this way remember let's do it together and sometimes it would take a really long time to fold the towels because she was learning how to do it correctly. And, and the next batch of towels would come out, and she would have completely forgotten how we were supposed to fold the towels, so we'd start all over again. Um, but I remember in particular one day, she was finished, um, and but there was still a little bit of work left to do. So she went and changed her clothes, and I walked with her up to the lobby, and her mom picked her up, and I came back down to the laundry. And a sister came up to me and said... And kindly, not being mean or anything, but, but she said, So, Sister Stedman, I don't understand why Sister Wold needed to go through the temple. She obviously doesn't understand what's going on. And she certainly can't remember how to fold the towels. So why does she need to be here? And I was a little bit taken aback. And I paused for a second and I said, Well, here's a couple of things. First of all, if the... If only those who understood what went on in the temple were allowed to go to the temple, it'd be a pretty empty place. Wouldn't you agree? And she said, oh, that's true. And I said, um, 
As far as Sister Wold not comprehending you know, how to fold the towels, and I have to show her re- repeatedly how to sh- how to fold the towels. Let me just say, Sister Wold already has a chair with her name in the Celestial Kingdom. I don't have one. So if I can learn how to be compassionate and and patient and loving to someone who needs my help repeatedly, I'm really grateful for that opportunity to learn to develop true compassion, not out of obligation, but out of love. Because I'm working on that chair. She's already got it. Um, and that's... And that's really kind of how I look at this. I, I think you, you're okay. I'm not so okay. I have a lot of things that I need to learn and change about me. And you give me that opportunity to learn patience and compassion and kindness and um, unconditional love. I think also, and you mentioned this just a minute ago when you said that we look at a person as who they can become. I think that's how our Heavenly Father looks at us. Not maybe as the imperfect being that we are currently, but as somebody who can become perfect. I think also the parents of these children, they love their children, and I think they love it when they see others love their children. Absolutely. You know, I, I was... Conducting a progress interview with uh, one of my elders, and um, we were talking about you know the things that he'd accomplished and the things that he'd been doing. Um, uh, he too, he was on the spectrum, on autism spectrum, and a highly intelligent young man, very very good at technical stuff, uh, just amazing what his mind could trap, <laughs> all that knowledge and all that know-how. Um, and I, I don't remember exactly how it came up, but somehow I said, so you have really uh, managed to really find ways to deal with your weaknesses. I said that word to him, weakness. And he looked at me and tilted his head and said, Elder McGee, I don't think I have weaknesses. And he just, in all sincerity, said, I am differently able and differently strong. And that moment was transformative for me. Differently able and differently strong. That's powerful. And that's a confidence in who they are. Mm -hmm. And I think many of us who are, by the world, viewed as capable, probably don't have that level of confidence. We have a missionary. We love Elder Davis. He is... He's the only missionary who's allowed to hug the sisters. He is the most fun missionary. But he was speaking one time in a sacrament meeting with us, and he, he's on the spectrum. And he stood up, and he said, I have autism, and that doesn't make me, how do you say it? That doesn't make me different. It just means I see things differently than right. you do, and right. that's not a bad thing. Right. And that's what he exactly. said. Um, you know, we, and, we have other missionaries, <clears throat> one that I can think of right now, who wanted to end his mission early. Because I don't think he had caught the vision. And then he was at sacrament meeting. He heard your sister speak. And that completely transformed him. And after the meeting, and I could feel it. It was such a strong presence within that meeting, that sacrament meeting Mm -hmm. where your sister spoke. And he came up to me afterwards and he said, Elder Stedman, I want to complete my mission. I want to stay here and, and do my full two years. So I'm not going to leave early. 
and he's still with us today. And I think that's what the mission does for uh-huh. our young people. It transforms them, yeah. and they 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 feel the love and the the kindness, the compassion that each each of us have for one another. Yeah. And you know, um, so we can talk a lot about the special needs missionary, but there's we have more that are not special needs, but they have needs as well. And I think we all do. We all have our own insecurities. We all have our concerns, um, the anxiety and the depression. And I have nothing but admiration for the missionaries that we serve with. And I, and I tell you all the time, none of you have to be here. You were all honorably excused. You didn't have to do this. And, and we are salmon swimming upstream. We are, we are going against the tide of church culture. And that, that makes being a service missionary hard. But you've chosen to do it even through the anxiety or the depression or the feelings of self-doubt or the wondering what others are thinking or when you, when you meet somebody that you were in the MTC with and they're saying, like, so, what, so what are you doing now? <laughs> and you have to answer that question. Um, that's, that's hard. And I appreciate so much the courage of, of you young adults who said, I just wanted to serve. That, that's all I wanted to do. And I'm, and I'm willing to do whatever it is the Lord asks. How amazing is that? Because I don't know if I was 19, if I would have said, yeah. I don't know if I would have had enough belief in myself that I could have bucked the tide or wondered what other people were thinking about me. So there's something very special about those of you who have said, I'll do it because you are that converted. You are that converted that you're willing to do this. And the gifts that you bring are with you to the astounding. mission are phenomenal. We worked with, with one elder in, <coughs> in Phoenix who <laughs> would often sit in a district meeting and, and quote lines from Star Wars <laughs> and talk in Yoda's voice. Yet uh, we attended a sacrament meeting and a temple shift coordinator came up to us after we had spoken and said, I love this elder. He has memorized the entire initiatory prayer and everything else within the last, I think it was A couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. As a result of, of his gift, he officiates in the temple. He works in the initiatory booth. And he is phenomenal. And I look at other missionaries that we served with. We had one missionary that, uh, as we were leaving Phoenix and coming to Tempe Chandler, you could tell him your your birth date. He would tell you the day you were born on. It didn't matter. Elder McGee, you could have done that. You could have said, I was born on this. This is my date. He would have told you with 100% accuracy the day you were born on. And all you've brought your gift, but for a back injury, you would have been out proselyting. We would not have, we have this. this opportunity right uh-huh. now. And I look at every single one of our missionaries and the gifts that they bring. Uh-huh. We have uh, we have an Olympic swimmer that um, is part of our mission. Uh, we have we have gardeners. We have animal people, welders, and forgers. <laughs> Not forgers, as in forgery, <laughs> but they work but in a forge black, and blacksmithing they, skills. Blacksmithing, yeah. I mean, just and phenomenal. And they come <coughs> and they just want to help. They just who 
Who can I help? Who can I bless? And the relationships that are formed within that group. Um, and sometimes, you know, there's, there's a little conflict. A missionary might not so much be getting along with somebody else. And we tell them, well, I can't send you to Yuma, and I can't send him to Casa Grande. So you got to learn to work this out. What an important thing to learn. Learn to work it out because I can't separate you. And that's what we have to do in life is learn to work through those personal problems. Another word that comes to mind is consecrating. Consecrating one's life to serve a mission. Consecrating one's life to serve the Savior. And I think of a couple of transfer missionaries um, that Sister McGee and I had the opportunity and honor to serve with. And one uh, sustained a physical injury, uh, head injury, and came home from his proselyting mission, had to be in the hospital for, I think it was a couple of months. Um, He came close to death uh, on more than one occasion because of the type of injury and treatment required. And and he'd been released from his mission um, to go through this recovery process. And as soon as he was able to, as soon as he got out of the hospital, as soon as he got home, he called his stake president and said, I need to, I need to get, I need to finish my mission. And he had a year left on his mission. And he really wanted to get back to his mission. Well, COVID had come and he, he couldn't go back to Indonesia. And so the stake president called us and we met with the family and talked about the service missionary opportunity. And he said, if this is the way that I can serve my mission, this is what I want to do. And his parents weren't really thrilled with the idea. Um, it's, well, don't, don't service missionaries have something wrong with them? Isn't there something wrong with them? And Sister McGee and I said, no, it, they don't have something wrong with them. I said, you know, there are neurotypical individuals and there are neuroatypical individuals. They are different. I'd learned that lesson at that point that I shared <laughs> earlier, right? They are different, um, but there's nothing wrong with them. No. Um, and this young man said, Mom and Dad, I want to serve this mission, and this is what I'm going to do. I want to serve this mission. So he was reinstated and set apart and served the rest of his mission. He was just released a month ago. Uh, he served his mission, and he was an amazing missionary. He became one of our leaders and just an astounding missionary. He loved his service mission, and he loved serving and helping and serving with others. And he had to go through... I don't think they're called migraine. I don't know what they were, but they were severe, severe, worse than migraine headaches that Mm. he had to go through unexpectedly throughout the day, and he would persevere through those. He would do what he needed to do so that he could serve. Uh, He served with Catholic Community Services. He served with refugees. He served with homeless, and he loved every second of his service mission, and he would serve 10, 12 hours a day because he had consecrated his life to the Savior as a missionary. Hmm. And these wonderful transfer missionaries that come home for any number of reasons, there's nothing wrong with them. They have issues that they have to deal with that they didn't choose, you know? Yeah. And they can serve well and they can serve long and they can serve that consecrated life, that sacred time on a mission. And it's wonderful. And they're so grateful to be able to do that. And we are so grateful to serve with them. Yeah. Why do you think, because um, I think a lot of missionaries get that type of response of, well, why are you serving of this type of mission? Or There's kind of that, that, that background and culture. 
why why do you think there is that stigma or that kind of mindset towards service missions? And do you think we're on the path to um, change that stigma? I, I know in my mission, I've seen lots of family and friends over time that they've their mindset towards it has changed. So um, why do you think that it's there? And, and do you think we're on the path to changing it? I think that the missionaries with whom we serve don't look at it as a stigma. We have, we have missionaries with such great talents. I, uh, Sister McCurdy has mm-hmm. a beautiful singing voice. Sister, Ro- Sister Wright does as well. And they look at their talents that they can bring to the altar, <coughs> and they're willing to, to do that. I don't think that they view that as anything less than what they're capable to offer to the Lord. But I, th- I think that is the person, but I think the culture. Mm. Anytime you introduce change, people have a really hard time with that. Yeah. And this is, this is a change. This is we're doing something different. And initially, I think the service mission program started out as being for those, well, it, it always is for those who can't serve a proselyting mission. And so automatically you're saying, oh, there must be something wrong with you if you can't <laughs> do this. Yeah. What, what's wrong with you? And, and uh, we're worried about what people think of us. And parents are worried about what somebody's going to think about their child. Or, or they had in their mind for 19 years, this, this is the path. They're going to do this and do this and do this. And at this age, they're going to go on a mission. And so... When all of a sudden that perspective changes, we have a really hard time coping with change. And I, I love the way, I think his name is Matt Walsh, the development counselor. Matt I think that's his Walton. name. I'm not sure. Anyway, he, he talks about the plan of salvation. And if we use that, that um, those three pillars of the plan of salvation, the creation, the fall, the, the atonement or redemption, and we apply it to the service mission or any change that takes place in our life. We have an idea of what it's going to look like. Rarely does our life ever turn out the way we planned. And so there's a fall. It, it changes. And what are we going to do with that change? Are we going to reject it and fight against it? Or are we going to create a new path for it? But the stigma is certainly not in the community, because in the community, service missionaries are loved and wanted and welcomed and asked for. But in the church, we haven't quite captured the vision that that things are changing. And so people reject change. So our responsibility is to change perspective. So I have this little thing that I say, uh, our reception of something is based on our perception mm-hmm. of it. And when our perception is based on misunderstanding or misinformation or miscommunication, we are less likely to be receptive. Mm. But once we change that with correct information then people's perceptions begin to change and reception is then brought in. So whenever we have speaking assignments, and we have lots of speaking assignments in our mission, Sundays are our busiest day, two and three, sometimes four speaking assignments, the best thing we can do is put our missionaries out there, put them on the pulpit, put them on that front row, invite them to stand up, have them turn around and face that congregation because then the members see, oh, you don't look like what I thought a service missionary was. You look like a regular missionary. And that because is you are. How, because you <laughs> are you are you are a missionary as a missionary as a missionary. You just happen to serve. And so that's how we begin to change that culture. 
I mean, goodness, how long ago was it that Elder Bednar made the comment, it's the call, not the assignment to labor that is important. But I, I hope it doesn't take 40 years. I mean, the children of Israel had to wander 40 years until a whole generation died off. And maybe we're going to have to do that. But I think we are raising a generation of young adults who recognize that, that everybody has something to offer. And let's not be so judgmental about people. And let's simply serve. Go ahead. Well, and that goes to my point, is when, when these young people share their talents, it does change that perspective within the church. Sure. Like Sister Stedman said, the community embraces us. They can't get enough of us. They want more of us. Yeah. We only have a limited number. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Sister Critchfield with her piano skills and violin skills, uh, Elder Johnson, who is a techie to the max, you know, ev- all, every single one brings their talents. And that's, that's what I believe is going to change this, this culture or this stigma, is the members of the church seeing the talents and the gifts that our missionaries bring. Think of President Nelson and his messages just in the last three years. And juxtapose that with, yes, we need proselyting missionaries throughout the world. We need to take the message of the gospel. We need to be the ears and the mouth of the Lord. Um, obviously, that will always be a priority in the Lord's kingdom. We need to spread the gospel. We need to spread the truth. Um, just as important, how does that truth get spread? You know, locally. It's, it's not just people in Japan where the country I love and served, right, or Brazil or any other country. It's right here. Right? In Tempe, Arizona, San Diego, California, Salt Lake City, Utah. There's a lot of people there who need the gospel. And a lot of people aren't going to be very receptive to missionaries knocking at their door. But they might just be receptive of service missionaries providing service in their community and seeing the good that they bring about. And the service missionaries are the hands and feet of the Lord we're all members of the body of Christ, you know, growing the kingdom, right? Building the kingdom. And there is a place for every single one of us, no matter our parts and counterparts, right? We're each of us as humans different. Mm. We have an offering to give. And, you know, it's the stigma in the church is that, well, you know, if you can't be a proselyting mission, missionary, what good are you, right? <laughs> and nobody probably would say it quite that way, but right. that's what they're thinking, right? Yeah. Uh, or the what is wrong with you kind of thing, right? And that's just the wrong question. That isn't the question at all. Christ has all the members of his body, and we each have something to contribute to him and to his kingdom. Absolutely. There's a place for every single one of us who wants to serve. Yeah. You know, I think another thing, too, it's kind of interesting. I was talking to, um, he's actually my foot doctor, because I had my name badge on, and so he wanted to know about service missions. And, he's, and he had come home early from his mission. He said, oh, man, I wish there was something like this when I came home, because for 20 years I've struggled with the fact that I ended my mission early, and I wish I could have done something more. 
And he said, you know, it's really interesting because when I see the proselyting missionaries walking up to me at church, he said, I almost want to turn around and walk the other way. It's like, oh, I don't have any more friends to tell you about. I, I can't do this anymore. He said, um, or if they, you know, they want to come over and have dinner, but we have to have a friend for them to talk to. And he said, it's such an obligation that I, that I know I should do, but it makes me feel guilty. And, I, and he said, but send a service missionary to me. I'll take them any day because I know there's no condition on their helping me. And he said, what a great concept to the world to say, there's no hook. I'm just here to serve. Whether you want to listen to a message or not, I'm not saying there's no condition to my service. There's, there's no, there's no hook to that. I'm just here to help you. And he said, I will take service missionaries every day and bring them into my home and introduce them to my friends who need some help because there's no pressure coming from the other direction. And he, and he said, I, I wish that we had a greater understanding of how powerful simply serving is. Yeah. Well, and it, and it doesn't, it shows that there's not one way to teach the gospel, mm -hmm. I think as well, because it allows for these missionaries with unique abilities, skills, talents, to showcase those talents and be put in environments where they're going to touch different people's lives, uh -huh. whereas knocking on the door or whatever it may be isn't the that, that's a great way to do it too. But it's not just it's not the one way. the one way. Uh -huh. um, I think it provides that as well. Which we're is awesome. we're all touching lives. Uh -huh. Do you think of all the lives that proselyting missionaries you know touch, and it's powerful. And you think of all the lives that service missionaries touch, sometimes directly many times indirectly. Mm. Um, it's, it's amazing how many lives are touched. Uh, it, it's, it's, I, I could give example after example, which I, I will refrain from doing, but it's, <laughs> it's, you think about each and every type of service, um, whether it's in uh, mucking out stalls at a, at a livestock yard or you know, serving at a storehouse or serving in a family search library. Whatever service you do, you think about the lives that are indirectly touched for good that help spread the gospel. And we all do that. Yeah, yeah. and I think it's a perfect example of um, how to be a member missionary, too. Because uh -huh. oftentimes, it's, you know, we, we think, okay, here's our full-time service. Okay, now I'm, I'm done for the next, you know, I don't, get to be, I don't have to be a missionary for the next 50, 60, 70 years. But... You're a missionary for the rest of your life, for your entire life. You're always going to be an example as long as you're a disciple of Christ. And so um, I think service missionary work definitely helps exemplify how to be that member missionary, how to continue and, and keep serving the Lord past your full-time service, which is amazing. Well, and that was really your whole purpose, Elder McCurdy, when you came home and we first started talking about these things and you know I gave you just that very simple assignment can you just put together some type of a study group for these missionaries who are coming home with COVID so that they stay connected and they're still studying and, and I remember You're the next day you called why did we ask you to start that study group <laughs> yeah. well you know the next day you called and, said, and you started describing and I said oh you're talking about a podcast absolutely that's what we need to do that's what we've wanted to do this is how we're going to this is how we're going to develop this mission and the missionaries who came with all these very specific skill sets to do that. But then from the very beginning, you have always said, this is not about when you just have the name badge on. This is about becoming true disciples of Jesus Christ and devoting this time to serving 
and making it just a part of who you are, that this is what you do, you serve. Um, and so that has always been your focus. You've been laser focused on everything that you've done in the mission with that, that goal, that, that this is what we're becoming. That's how we're becoming disciples of Christ. When the, when the badge comes off, we have developed right here in our own communities, associations and relationships with people who need our help. And that's truly transformative. Um, that, and I think that's really, I think that's the purpose of sending 18 and 19 year olds out. But too often that teaching missionary comes home and takes off the badge and says, Whew, I'm done with that one, moving on. Right, right. Uh, but we are right here, and so the badge comes off, and it's, it's sad, but we're still here in our community. And, and many of our missionaries are hired by the locations mm-hmm. that they've been serving at. That is really typical for that to happen. And they've developed relationships. And, and you know, I mean, we, we were just in a sacrament meeting a couple of weeks ago with a speaking assignment with Sister Rulai who's very low-functioning autistic, but she did a great job on her talk, and we had two of our um, other missionaries speaking with her. The most beautiful thing was when Elder Perks sat down and Sister Rulai, from her little seat, gave him a high five. That was witnessed by everyone in that congregation, and as we're leaving that sacrament meeting, a sister comes up to me with tear-filled eyes, and she said, that was the most meaningful sacrament meeting I have ever been in. We brought some non-members with us today, and when this meeting ended, my friend looked at me and said, I want to start taking the missionary discussions tonight. That's the impact that those three missionaries had. Service missionaries. Yes. On that, that woman who will now be turned over to proselyting missionaries who will share the gospel. But they exemplified the gospel right there. There was no... Oh, you know, I'm not really her friend. Don't don't associate me with her. We're not really friends. It was true love. Yeah. It, and that's what people see. And that, that has great converting power. And that's what they want to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Is that, yeah, that because love. Because there's not a lot of that yeah. out there. So um, just as we wrap up, because we are in about 50 minutes or so, um, what I want to do is I want to ask if you had... At this point, in, as mission leaders, I know, Elder McGee, you were the service mission leader in Draper, Utah, and then now you're working in the SMO um, for the next five, six months. Um, and now it's just, I mean, you're the service mission leaders in Tempe Chandler. At this point in your missionary service, if you had one thing that you could say to missionaries or congregation or members, um, what would that one thing be, just kind of as a, a closer here? That's a tough question because there's a lot of things, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, I would, I would say what I think it was at the very first devotional that you had for the MTC to the missionaries: think big. Do not be confined by the box. Do not be confined by what people perceive you to be. If you have ideas, go with it. And to service mission leaders. Be open to thinking outside the box. We are on the ground floor. What we say, what we think, what our missionaries experience, what they're learning will impact how this program moves forward. So be not afraid to think big and to think outside the box. I would say um, trust in the Lord. 
when we offer our prayers as service mission leaders, we pray for each one of our missionaries, and often by name, in singling them out. And sometimes before we pray for our children. <laughs> like, oh, and my kids, too. <laughs> because we're so close to them, we, we see their strengths. We don't look for their weaknesses. And as service mission leaders, um, we just love them. I think that's, that's what the Savior has asked us to do. I think, I think of Genesis chapter 1, you know, God created everything. Jesus Christ did the physical creation of everything. And each human being is a spirit child of Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother. We all understand that. The uniqueness is something. One of my missionaries, I think, said it best. He said, I don't know why God created me the way I am. But I am me, and I'm part of him, and he's part of me. That young man is unique. You're unique. Sister Stedman's unique. Each one of us, human beings, is unique and special, and we have that to offer. And I think, to me, that's just really neat. (laughs) Every individual... um, that every individual has his or her own uniqueness to offer is wonderful. It's a miracle. It really is. Amazing. Well, I think this has been a powerful discussion. I always learn something talking to each one of you and then coming all together and talking. I I think it's just, it's been a powerful discussion tenfold because we're all here together. Um, I, yes. I would ask you a question. Okay, Curtis. yes, ask me a question. How have you been transformed, and where did you think you would be when you first started and where you are today? I mean, what, what's it been for you? Hmm. Um, it's been an interesting experience. Um, I think I spent a couple years trying to get on, into the mission, and I think I needed that. I didn't know that I needed it, but I needed it in the sense of the Lord really took that time to, I would, I don't want to say gently. I don't think it was very gentle, but beat the idea into my head that I need to be willing to do whatever he needed me to do. And that two-year span of wanting to, having the desire to serve a mission and not being able, to, being able to serve the mission in the way I thought I was supposed to serve the mission really humbled me to realize that it's not going to be the way I think it needs to be. It's going to, going to be the way he needs it to be. And from that point on, I, you know, I've told people I was sad to leave Florida for sure, but I really wasn't overly sad to leave Florida because I knew, okay, the Lord has a different plan. I'm just following where he needs me to go. And so it's okay. And I think the service mission was the same way. I didn't know what to think about it. And then I felt like the Lord was like, just do it. And I was like, okay, well, I guess it'll all work out. Um, but I've just been, I, I, the whole experience has been transformative um, thus far. Um, the missionaries that I've been able to work with, I'll be honest, I, some of the more um, special needs or unique circumstance missionaries are the ones I've learned the most from. And 
I never would have thought that's where I would have learned some of the lessons I've learned. Um, but there's power behind their testimonies. Uh, I know social media was kind of, social media was one of the first things where we started. And I didn't know exactly where that was supposed to go, but I came to the realization that every one of these missionaries have unique testimonies and things to be learned. And they just need the platform and the opportunity to share that. And uh, and I think that's the same with the MTC. Um, the missionaries need a unique, or not, they don't need a unique, but they need an opportunity to feel the spirit and to come together and feel loved and accepted. And I think as much as it's been for them, I, it's been a great opportunity for me too because I know I've learned from it. You know, hearing Elder uh, Elder Hammer say he's going to miss the MTC, that was important. That was I'm glad I heard that um, because it helped me realize, oh, wow, this is this is meaningful to him. Um, so I don't know if I exactly answered that question, mm-hmm. but the whole experience has been really transformative. I, um, I think the Lord has so many things for us to do, all of his children, and we just have to be willing to do what he needs us to do and, and help others then see that path that the Lord has for them. So. Amen. <laughs> um, but once again, I, I just, I'm really appreciative to all of you. I, I appreciate you guys being willing to come and discuss. I always learn something when we talk um, and, and I grow a little bit. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, I will, I'm sure we'll talk again. Every day. Every day. (laughs) I made one thing.